Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. again for coming out tonight guys good to be with you and uh, you know you guys know this but we really want RUF to be a community where we can be known and know others and serve each other and love each other and grow in love and and so each week in RUF part of the reason we look at the Bible every week is because we believe that's where truth is found that's where Jesus is revealed, and Jesus is the way that we can truly love, and uh, Jesus is the power for life together and life in this world that God made, and so uh, we look at the Bible each week, and this semester we've been going through, plowing through, looking at a text in each book of the Bible, just kind of moving forward through it, and so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, we've already done all of those, and tonight we come to first. Samuel, And so we're going to look at maybe the most famous story in the Bible, David and Goliath. And just to give you some background on what we're looking at, um, you know, we uh, began looking at Genesis the first week we did this. And we saw in the story that God created a good world that uh, was wonderful. And yet uh, his people, Adam and Eve, turned on him. And sin entered the world. The world became sad because they believed a lie, which is that God is not good. We should not listen to him. We should listen to ourselves. And sin and sadness entered the world. And yet that night we looked at a verse that talked about how God was set from that point onward on saving his world and his people. And uh, there was a promise specifically that, uh, you know, in that story, Satan appears in the form of a serpent, a snake, and he says that one day there would come uh, someone who would crush the head of the serpent. And that's what we believe happened on Easter, on Good Friday, and Easter Sunday morning. Uh, and so that was the way that God saved the world. And, and yet the Old Testament tells a story that gets us to that point. And so what we have seen is that uh, God calls the people to himself, and he... Uh, promises to bring them into a land where they can extend his kingdom outward, the promised land, and he gets them there. It's miraculous. And then uh, yet God's people continue to worship the gods of the people around them and things continue to be sad. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this time in Israel's history, God's people's history, when there was no king and things were sad. And then we come to this book, First Samuel, that we're going to look at tonight. And there's a prophet named Samuel, God's man, who's kind of represents God before the people. And they demand, God's people are demanding a king. They're like, all these other countries have a king. We don't have one. Give us a, tell God to give us a king. And they want a king like everyone else has. And so uh, that's not what God wants for them, but he gives it to them. They want a king who's a stud. They want someone who's hot. And uh, so they get Saul. Saul has got, he's like, Six foot ten, you know, broad shoulders, <laughs> nice stubble. I don't know. He's just like, to them, he looks like a king, and he's not uh, the king that God 
wants, though. And so behind the scenes in this book, uh, God actually chooses a king. He chooses David as the king. And he sends Samuel actually to anoint David as king. And so, uh, because David's got what God wants, which is a heart that loves him. And so in the story we're about to read, God has already chosen David as his king. But he is not yet like the king of Israel. Saul is king. And we come to this story about David and Goliath. And it's really long. I just put it all up there. We're going to skip a couple parts even because it's so long. But I I just want to, I'm going to refer to it. So I want it to be up there. If you can't read it, pull it up on your phone or something too. But uh, so buckle up, relax. It's going to take a little bit to get through. I don't normally like to look at texts that are this long, but uh, it's important for this story that we read it all. So uh, let me read it for us. First Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in, in Ephesh Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw uh, for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. I'm skipping over a few verses to 19. Now, Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And God rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done for the man, to the man who kills him. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. 
Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there was a lion, came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him from its mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, Go to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed God, David, by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, come to me with a sword. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the, on the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Okay, let me pray for us before we dig into this amazing story. Uh, Father, as we come now to your word, we pray that you guide us. And we pray that you show us the truth from it that we need to know. And we pray that we be changed by that truth, uh, that it would shape who we are. And it would sink deep, deep into our hearts and make us different. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we just read an amazing story. I mean, it's like this, there's a reason this is the most like, famous story in the Bible because it's pretty amazing. Like it's an underdog story, right? And we all love underdog stories. Like little David beats Goliath with a little sling and a stone, this giant. And uh, there's a reason we tell this story to our kids in places like Sunday school, because it's like awesome, right? Like he chops off the giant's head at the end of it. And uh, typically when this story is taught to children and really everyone, there's like a moral of the story. And the moral seems to be, you know, 
All right, kids, now think about what the giants are in your life. You know, what are, what's your giant? And, you know, if you trust God, he will help you fight your giants, just like he helped David in this story. Um, that's not at all what the moral of the story is. Uh, and I want to show that to you tonight. And, you know, what I want to show you is something that this story means so much more than that. And if that's not what the story is, you know, what is the point? What are we supposed to get out of the story? And to do that, I want to look at the story just really closely and think about, like, what, you know, let's just look at this whole thing and think about, like, what's the battle? Who does the fighting? And how does David win? And that's how we're going to extract meaning from this story tonight. And so first of all, what's the battle? And we already went over a little bit of what the background of this story is, right? Uh, the story is about God saving the world through his people, Israel, by putting them in this place where they are, the promised land. And that's how it's going to do it. God's going to use his people to spread, extend his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And so it's really important that they're here in this spot. God is going to use this people. Um, and in the story, they, God miraculously brings them into the promised land, but they have not succeeded in driving out all the enemies that are there. And so, for instance, these people, the Philistines, are still they're living among the Philistines in this land that God promised to them that they might live there so that they could make God known to the world. And so these enemies keep popping up. The Philistines pop up, and eventually they line up for battle in this place called the Valley of Elah, a place you could go to today. It's just like an open field in a valley. You could go right to where this happened. There's even a brook with like a dried-up stream with like smooth stones in it, and you can take one. I've done it before. And on one side, it's the Philistines. On the other side, it's the Israelites. They're just lined up, and there's this giant Goliath. And if you don't know about Goliath, and, like, you know, there's some debate about, like, how big was he really? Uh, what we know is that there were a race of people called the Anakim. Like, there's archaeological evidence of this in places where the Philistines live, where, like, people were abnormally large. And these are actually the people that Israel was afraid of when they were supposed to, like, God promised them this land. And their first reaction was, like, the Anakim live there. There's no way we'll get in. Like, we can't do this. And so Goliath is of that line. And um, the, the other thing is that the Philistines like really know armor and weapons really well. Like they know how to work with bronze and stuff. And so what you need to picture is like Hulk, the incredible Hulk plus Iron Man. Cause he's got like all the best like body armor and stuff that like no one else has in the world. Um, so that's who they're up against. And it's really interesting in the story because Goliath's name is rarely used. Like, did you notice that most of the story he's called the Philistine? Okay? It's not about Goliath. It's the fact that Goliath is not one of God's people. He is a Philistine. Five times he's called a Philistine. Uh, There's a couple times where it mentions that he's uncircumcised, meaning, again, this is a sign that he's not one of God's people. Uh, and that's the point. And he, over and over again, there's this word defy. He defies the God of Israel. Um, over and over, like that's what's offensive is that Goliath, the Philistine, is defying God. He's opposing God. He's putting himself 
and his people against God. And so the, the text is trying to like re-emphasize over and over again and make clear that this is a battle against God. It's a battle against God's people, which makes it a battle against God's plan to save the world. And so it's all at stake right here at this battle. It's the same battle that's been going on ever since God committed to saving this world after his people sinned. It's been going on since Genesis chapter 3. The offspring of the woman versus the offspring of the snake. Those who belong to God and those who oppose God. Uh, Goliath even looks kind of like a snake in all this bronze armor, and that's intentional. Okay, so Goliath represents all that man is capable of without God. It's pretty amazing, actually. Like, you know, the whole plus Iron Man is, like, pretty legit, right? Like, people are impressed by this guy, and, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and the reality is that mankind, apart from God, can do some amazing Things, um, And this is why the more you have, the better your circumstances, the less you feel like you need God. Because you think, you know, why do I need God? I'm like nine feet tall and I have bronze armor. Like, you think I'm going to like worship a God? I like pretty much am one. And it's the same for us when we have a lot going for us too, right? Rich, famous, whatever. I can do whatever I want. Why would I need anything, especially God? And his presence, so, is terrifying to Israel. Like, the Israelites are totally freaked out. You know, they're like, Goliath is amazing, and we're never going to beat him. Like, there's, we don't have a chance at any of us, you know, one-on-one fighting Goliath. And I just want to stop there and help us to focus on the fact that this story highlights a reality that there's a battle going on in our world. I wonder how often you think about living in the midst of a battle. You know, we live in, what the Bible says is we live in this story where uh, God is making himself known and he, there's opposition in the form of Satan and sin and evil in the world that doesn't want that to happen. And we see it everywhere. Uh, There's a real battle going on between God and Satan right now. And when you become a Christian, if you are one, you join that battle. Not in like the stupid way that, of like Christians being jerks to people that aren't Christians or anything like that or like forming like some like political coalition or something like that. But this is a battle to stand up for what's right. What's true. Uh, it's a battle to live the right way based on what the Bible says is true and refuting and denying that which the Bible says is not true. It's a battle to keep living that way even when it's hard. It's a battle to love even our enemies, even when it's hard. It's a battle to side with Jesus, even if it costs you, what, your reputation, your security, uh, your life. And there's many places around the world today where it costs Christians their lives still. Uh, And it's hard because the world seems to offer a lot. Right? Like, having Goliath on your, as your bodyguard would be pretty cool, right? Like, we would want that um, because it's scary, like, it's scary to feel insecure. Like, if, if, being on God's team feels scary because it feels like our security is at stake and we might lose the things we like and want and the things that make us feel comfortable and safe. And it often seems like I can actually get by on my own. You know, I can, I can make it work without God. 
I can scrape by. You know, if I work really hard and I scrap and I grind it out, like I can make a life for myself that's pretty good without it. I can create a future that seems pretty secure and not have to rely on God. And so there's a real sense in which being on God's team will demand everything from you. And it'll be extremely hard. Like, I don't know what you've been told about being a Christian, but it's supposed to be really hard to do. And it's supposed to be that way. It makes sense if you remember that there's a battle for this world. Okay, so that's the battle. God versus the world that's against him. And if Goliath wins, it's actually over. <laughs> like, these, Israel needs to survive. And if Goliath wins, the whole story, the story we've been looking at all semester is over. So that's the battle. I want to look now at who does the fighting in the story. Um, the first person, obviously, would be Goliath, right? Um, and we've already said he represents the way, the, he represents the world apart from God. Uh, he represents everything that uh, the world has to offer when it rejects God. And, but then the question is, who's going to fight him? And the first thing we find out is that not Saul. You know that like handsome 6'10 dude who was supposed to be the king Israel wanted? He doesn't want any part of fighting Goliath. Uh, In verse 11 it says, When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Um, Do you guys happen to remember when Taylor was up here preaching a few weeks ago? And he was preaching about this time in Israel's history when Joshua was leading God's people in the promised land and it was, they were preparing to enter and God actually said, you know, Joshua says to the people like, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Way before any of this happened, he said, there's going to be times when you're afraid, don't be. And yet, in this story, that's exactly what's happening. The king that the people wanted, that the, pe- the king they thought would kind of take them places couldn't do it Um, they can't not be afraid Saul or any of the people they can't why they've lost sight of the fact that this is the Lord's battle David sees that it's the Lord's battle you know we've seen on all this text how it's God versus all who oppose him Uh, but for them it's about whether or not they feel vulnerable And they feel very vulnerable looking at Goliath. Uh, So when you lose sight of the real battle between the living God and the forces of evil in this world, that's when you and I become afraid. This is why the Sunday school version of the story doesn't work. Uh, You know, you know, where you overcome your giants and it it doesn't work. Uh, This is why this text can't be about pulling up your GPA. You know, my giant is pulling up my GPA or finding an internship or finding someone to marry. It can't be that because the real giant is actually the forces of evil in the world. You know, who cares if you lose everything if you're on the side of the living God? If you're on that team, okay? When our life becomes about self-preservation and creating our own security net and looking out for number one, That's how we know we've lost track of the story. That's how we know we're not living in the true story of this world because the story is that God doesn't lose. And if you're on God's team, you do not lose. You know, Goliath is obviously not on the right team. It's obvious in this text to see that, but like Saul isn't really either. 
Even though he kind of thinks he is, and even though he knows some true things about God, he's not on God's team. And so there's no one to fight because they don't realize that it's God's fight. And God never loses, so really anyone should be willing to fight. And then David shows up. And David, he sees what the real fight is. Uh, He knows that you don't defy the living God. And that's what he says over. He's like, how could this guy defy the living God? Uh, So he's like, of course I'll win because I'm on God's team. Uh, Plus, God has already saved him a bunch of times when he was a shepherd. And so um, he's like, I'm going to fight. I will win because I'm on team God. And uh, there's the terms of the battle, which is that like, it's just going to be a one-to-one fight. And they agree. You know, that's how I guess they did it back then. Uh, someone's going to fight Goliath, and whoever wins, their people are going to win, too. And so I want to look now at how does David win, okay? David cares more, he cares the most about God's honor. Uh, he's most upset, like we've been saying, about the fact that this guy, Goliath, is defying the living God. Like, so much more of this story is given to that than the actual fight, which is like, what, like a verse and a half or two verses, right? So much more is about explaining how the problem with all of this is defying God. And so David's weapon is the truth about God. God sticks with his people and God does not lose. He doesn't lose, okay? The truth about God is the weapon. God is God. He cannot lose. Even if it appears like he's losing, he's actually winning. Always. So in this chapter, David essentially says to Israel and to us, he says, the Lord's reputation is at stake. That matters to me. That matters enough for me to risk everything. Risk my entire life. Uh, I wonder for you, where is God's honor at stake? Where in our world is God's honor at stake? I wonder if that matters to us more than our security or more than our status or more than our reputation. Because if God's honor is at stake, it's worth bringing truth into that situation. It's worth risking everything for the honor of God because God always wins. It's God's world and he always wins. And so how does God win? Uh, He uses weakness to win. Like the text emphasizes that like David didn't use a sword. And it's like he tried on the armor. Like this was his best hope. You know, at least you're going to go in with some armor and not get like totally destroyed. And he's like, no, thanks. No armor. Uh, I'll just use this like sling I have and some stones I found. And God uses weakness someone you know we skipped over the parts where his brothers are like you don't have a chance and god uses weakness to defeat evil he uses weakness to defeat all that opposes them his size his lack of weapons his lack of armor is it's actually what helps him win like he wouldn't win unless he had that exact set of circumstances where he's small and he doesn't have armor so he can move and and he knows how to throw a stone and also key, so he, he uses weakness to beat evil. And, he, and David fights on behalf of all of God's people. You know, in the story, all it takes is someone to beat Goliath and the whole nation 
wins. David's victory counts for God's people. Uh, Goliath's death counts for all of God's enemies. And it points us to the real victory. It's the victory we're going to celebrate this weekend. Where God fully and finally defeats the enemy through weakness. All right, The enemy is evil and sin and death. And no one thought God could be evil and sin and death through death. You know, death was you lost. Like, even, like, crucifixion was the worst death. It was the most humiliating, humiliating way to die. And yet that's how God exactly decided that he would defeat his enemy fully and finally. Satan never saw it coming. Just like Goliath never saw the stone coming as it took his life. And it happens on our behalf. Jesus does it all so we don't have to, so it can count for us. Uh, I've, if you've been around RUF a while, you've probably heard me tell the story once or twice about Rick and Dick Hoyt, father-son racing team, running race. They actually do triathlons and all these things. And uh, Rick, the son, is uh, disabled, some kind of neurological disorder. He's in a wheelchair from you. He's a little kid in a wheelchair. And in their town, they heard about a race, a running race, five kilometers. And he said, Dad, I really want to, I think I want to compete in that race. But he's in a wheelchair. And so his dad says, all right, I'll... I'll, I'll run with you. I'll push your wheelchair. And uh, that day they finished second to last in the race, but they completed the 5K. And his son said to him that day, he said, Dad, that was the first time in my life I didn't feel like I was handicapped. And if you're a dad, you're like, okay, let's go. You know, let's do this every weekend now. You know, it's my son. I want him to feel like he's not handicapped. And so they start training. They work their way up to marathons. They work their way up to Ironman triathlons where, you know, you're swimming and towing a boat with your son in it. And they compete in all these races. They've done like hundreds of races at this point. You can watch videos of this on YouTube. And in all the races, like the son, Rick, is like crossing the finish line and just being like, yeah, yeah. He didn't do anything. He literally is incapable of moving on his own. And yet his father completes the race on his behalf. Okay? God is not really interested in helping you fight your battles. He is interested, though, in bringing you into his victory. Do you know that through Jesus, you can be brought in to God's victory and live with him forever? Uh, so will God help you pull your grades up? Will he fix your family? Will he give you a happy, successful life? Maybe. He does help people with those things. You know, he does encourage us to pray about those things and seek his help in those things. Uh, but all of that won't matter if you don't see that he's already helped you. He has made it so you don't need to rely on any of that stuff to experience eternal blessing. He's already fought and defeated evil on your behalf. So nothing truly bad can ever touch you. 
So now you can really fight. How should you fight? You know, what does this mean for us and how we fight? Uh, do it the weak way, like David. Be so confident, even though all you have to show for yourself is Jesus' life and death. Love people. Be gentle and kind to people. Give your life away in service to other people. Be a friend to people that seem like they need a friend. Be part of a good church and serve there. Move to a place that no one wants to move to because there's people there that need to hear the good news about Jesus and God's victory over evil. Live for truth instead of being dependent on success or how you look or your reputation or your value. Live in God's victory. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this victory that we get a glimpse of in this text. We thank you for the full and final victory that you accomplished on the cross that we celebrate this weekend. I pray that uh, we would claim that victory as our own and be free from everything. Uh, and that we would fight on your team uh, the way you fight. Loving enemies, uh, being willing to sacrifice for others. Uh, Make us like you and help us to live in your life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's stand for our last song.